0: You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit hyundaiusa.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.
1: Welcome back to the mbp.com ballpark dimensions podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello, a writer and analyst at MLB.com, joined by Matt Myers, MLB.com National Content Editor. Today is Tuesday, November 30th, 2021, and I'd like to say we had a whole bunch of different topics lined up for you, but if you've been paying attention to baseball for the last three days, you know that there is just an absolute fury of trades and mostly free agent moves. And I'm not sure we could reasonably do anything but try to dive through all of those. Matt, so far, total free agency spending 1.64 billion dollars, which is a very hilarious number to say. Ten different teams have so so far spent $40 million total or more, led of course by the Texas Rangers. And I think what we know in large part what is fueling this, it is possible that by the end of the day tomorrow, there will be a labor stoppage and then you can't make trades and everything. We get it. This, I, I hate to say it's fun because it's fun in the sense of it's Fun compared to, you know, the, the freeze we may have coming up. Uh, but I wanted to ask your opinion. For years, people have wanted the slow pace of the hot stove to be more like the NBA. I've never really been sure I wanted to see that. And we're sort of getting a taste for it this year. Is this a good or a bad thing?
0: I mean, this week, it's certainly a lot of fun. It's different. It's, um, you know, every it feels like, you know, refreshing Twitter every second. Oh, who's who's, who's going to have signed now? Who's going to have signed now? You know, I don't really know if you can really i mean the nba thing is sort of the reason it happens in the nba so fast is because there is a salary cap so it's literally like a land grab it's like there's literally a finite amount of money to go around and everyone knows exactly what that amount is so it's like okay i gotta sign now otherwise like this deal might be gone right with baseball there is no salary cap and i don't think there was going to be one so it's it's always been different where there's like okay well maybe if i wait longer that money will eventually be there or maybe some need will arise and some team will suddenly be prepared to spend a lot more than they were in the past like you know the the famous example is like the tigers a few years ago when victor martinez got hurt in the offseason and then they signed prince fielder to a 200 million, 200 million dollar deal in like january something that would not have happened you know 4 weeks 4 weeks prior i think it would be cool if there was maybe if there's or like even if there's not like a hard deadline maybe if there were like windows or quiet periods that could maybe give us some of this while also letting us know when things weren't going to happen. But maybe that's just me being someone who's in baseball media and would like to like
1: have some reliable, quiet time in the offseason. <laughs> yeah. I got to be honest, as much as I enjoyed you in this podcast with you, the prospect of doing it right now gave me a little bit of pause just because things are happening so fast that you almost sort of wonder by the time people hear this in three hours, like what else will have happened? And not really just in free agency. We know that this evening, The uh, non-tender deadline is coming up. It actually got moved up a day as part of an agreement between the league and the players. And basically what that means is that you know, for guys who are arbitration eligible, the team has the decision just not to tender a contract, make them a free agent. I imagine we're going to see some interesting names coming out of that. Like every Yankee fan wants Gary Sanchez to be non-tendered. It's probably not going to happen. There are not catchers out there. Uh, But that's like a whole other aspect of it. So I think over the next 24 hours, we are going to continue to see Uh, a flurry of free agent deals. And what we're going to do really quick is we're going to take a break and we're going to get into the most interesting teams and moves we've seen so far.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity
1: interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. We are back on the MLB.com Ballpark Dimensions podcast. I don't think there is absolutely anywhere else we could start with trying to recap the insanity of the last couple days than in Texas, where the Rangers have gone absolutely nuts. They have signed Corey Seager. They have signed Marcus Simeon. They have signed John Gray. I suppose we should at least point out they also signed Cole Calhoun, although he's not exactly on the same level as all those guys. They have spent $561 million for a team that went 60 and 102 Last year, since 2017, only four teams have more losses than the Rangers do. They signed two of the five big shortstops. Uh, it sounds like Simeon's going to play second. Seeger's going to play short. Gray is immediately their best starting pitcher. And what I find really interesting about this whole thing is that the Rangers a week ago had arguably no above-average players on their entire roster. And I don't mean to denigrate anybody. You know, there are things to like about the defense of Isaiah Conner-Falefa. Obviously, Garcia had a fantastic, like, rookie season, although I'm pretty low on his back going forward. And so they're in this really fascinating spot where they just spent a half billion dollars, and they probably got, like, 13-ish wins better, and yet that's still, like, a 74-win team. And I guess it's important to remember, there was almost literally nothing they could do to make last year's roster a winner this year, even if they spent $2 billion. But what this does is it sets them up for years to come. Obviously, you've got a base now to build on. Jack Leiter will have some talent when he gets there. Josh Jung will be up soon, the third baseman. Cole Wynn is another pitcher who's coming up. They're not going to be great next year, but they're going to be better. However, the thing that shocked me the most was that Marcus Simeon was the first guy they signed because he's 31. And that sort of means you can't have like a slow burn here. They need to get real good real soon because the entire point of Marcus Simeon is he's got like three more years of his prime. Yeah, it's
0: I I was as surprised as you for that reason that Simeon was the first guy they went out and got because it doesn't really it's not that he's like a bad player. He's obviously a very good player. In fact, I think over the last three years among all shortstops uh, or players listed as shortstops or played, played X amount of. Game to shortstops. He has the highest wins above replacement okay. according to Fangraphs. So Not shortstops.
1: No, no. All players. All, All players. position players. Yeah. <laughs> so there
0: you go. Even, even, even better. Even better. So, I mean, you can't argue like, hey, you, they arguably got like the, you know, in some ways got at least for the short term the best free agent out there. But I, I don't really know what it. I mean, obviously it gets some great, great press right now. I don't really know what it gets them. The AL West has become such a strange division um, going into next year because like it's the A's appear to be maybe tearing down and you never know what to make of the Angels and the Mariners, I, I'm i not really a believer. I think they like really were, not that they're not gonna be decent, but I'm not sure they're nearly as good as the 90 games they won last year, or at least they have a lot, they have to prove it to me. Um, and then you have the Rangers who I think they're not gonna, as currently constructed, and I think there's, there's, there's some buzz that they're gonna go out and add more. They're still not gonna be a playoff team next year. Um, the one thing, in some ways, that makes it most interesting is that they—they're—they're they're probably just not going to be like a, a team that everyone beats up on anymore. You know, the the Astros have kind of famously just like destroyed them year in and year out over the last few years, and just banked like fourteen easy wins per season essentially against against the Rangers. I think they've at least raised their floor so that they're not like that bad and they're probably as i said they'll probably add some more players so to that extent it just might you know bring the whole division a lot closer together because there's not going to be like a complete patsy in the division anymore
1: let me put you on the spot of the five american league west teams as the rosters stand right this second understanding more moves will come do you pick the rangers higher than fifth oh it's okay if the answer is no
0: I think I do, because I do think the A's are going to do some...
1: Ah, But I'm saying today, the roster's today, today, not when they trade Olsen. Oh, rosters today, I would still pick them fifth. Yes. No, I I agree with that for sure. I, I mean, that's the way you've got to kind of think about it, though, is it's like you could go from 60 wins to 75 wins, and that doesn't necessarily gain you anything other than that for the next year when you're trying to then build off of 75 wins, as opposed to 60 wins, you're in a much better spot. I mean, obviously this excites Ranger fans, right? And that's half the point. Like you have made your team much better, much more interesting. Um, I'm not sure I can think of a bigger upgrade in the middle infield than going from what they had last year to what they had this year going from, uh it was mostly Kiner Falefa, who's a very good defender, not much of a hitter, Nick Solak, a, whole, a bunch of other guys. Uh It's like, an upgrade of about 350 points of OPS alone. I do think Seager gets a little underrated at times. I was surprised he got more than 300 million dollars, and I think that's just partially cuz people think he's injury prone, but I'm not entirely sure that's true. I mean, he got hit by a pitch and broke his hand, you know, that happens. He had Tommy John surgery that erased an entire season, but we're not talking about a guy who's had, you know, multiple bumps and bruises. I don't I don't buy the injury prone label with him. Um, but I, I do think he's going to be a guy who is maybe a third baseman at some point. But what they need to do is get literally any more pitching. Their rotation right now: John Gray, Dane Dunning, and can you name another Ranger starting pitcher? Can you? Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to have asked you that question. AJ Alexi. <laughs> All right, AJ Alexi. Very impressive. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I, if- I want to do want to make one more point, and you
0: you you kind of hinted at it. Like to be clear, like. The Rangers haven't really given their fans much cheer about the last few years. So, like, it's cool they're trying to get their fans engaged and, like, get better players. Like, I think that's exciting. I think it's fun. If you're a Rangers fan today, you're like, oh, this is awesome. My, as you said, my team is way more interesting. My team's going to be way better. And, like, weird stuff has happened. Like, it's not crazy to think that with a couple more additions that, like, they could be a competitive team. I'm sure the ownership is thinking that they're also like, hey, we have this new ballpark. We want to keep fans excited about it, keep coming, keep coming in. We know Corey Seager has had a lot of success at that ballpark in 2020 in the uh, the neutral site playoffs. He won NLCS MVP and World Series MVP playing at Globe Life Field. So like, it's not, it's not, it's not preventing. Yes, they, they gave up a couple draft picks, but like, it's it's not really going to appreciably set them back in any meaningful way.
1: No, not at all. I really liked what uh John Daniels said earlier in the winter too. He he looked back to 20 years ago now somehow when they gave Alex Rodriguez that 252 million dollar contract and he spent 3 years in Texas and had three incredible seasons and they finished in last place three times anyway. And he's like you can't just expect one player to do it alone. You know, you have to build talent around them, which is what they failed to do 20 years ago and it's it's clear they're working towards doing that this year. So I think as long as you have the understanding that you can spend this much money and being 500, below 500 next year is not a failure, it's a it's a stepping stone on the progress to where you want to be, then I think this all makes uh, sense enough so long as they continue to keep going. I don't know if it's possible to say this, that somehow a team that spent a half billion dollars was not the loudest team, but it sure seems like the Mets have been the loudest team, not always for good reasons. Um, Max Scherzer, Starling Marte, Eduardo Escobar. Mark all 33 years old or older, which I find really fascinating. I want to talk about the position players briefly first, because I really like how these three guys were all brought in in a way that directly addresses some huge Mets problems. Uh, Last year, over the last two years, the Mets had the second highest percentage of plate appearances coming from left-handed hitters. They're super lefty. Well, Marte and Connor are righties, and Escobar is a switch hitter. Last year, the Mets had, I think, the second worst base running performance in baseball. The metrics and the eye test extremely matched up on that. They were just wretched on the bases. Well, starly Marte stole 47 bases and was the most valuable base runner in the league last year. And for as much as I've enjoyed Brandon Nimmo trying his best to be a center fielder over the last couple of years, and I think he's better than people give him credit for, having him in center and not, you know, in left field has kind of had a domino effect on the whole defense of the team. Cause then you've had Dom Smith and left the the defense uh, up until at least last year in the infield has not been very good. Now you got a real center fielder in Marte and there's a whole bunch of dominoes. I think that fall out from this, like do they trade JD Davis? Are they going to trade Dom Smith? Well, what happens if there's a DH, there's a lot that's going to happen out of this Robinson Cano's back in the mix as well. But I really liked those three deals just in the sense that they made sense for the actual needs of the roster. And even though none of those three guys are young, they're short-term deals. Escobar got two, Canna got two, Marte got four. Uh, that's a little bit longer than, than you'd maybe expect for a guy at, at his age. Um, but those three all made sense. And then you get to Max Scherzer. But first, Matt, those three guys, are
0: you with me? Yeah, no, I think you basically you you he basically stole what I would have said. I like, got uh, teacher, I was going to say what he was. Say. <laughs> I think I think you're, you're you're exactly right. They were very clearly targeted at clear weaknesses on the team. And their short-term deals, and I think that's – they also avoided, and this goes for Scherzer as well, signing anyone who got a qualifying offer. And I think this is very unique to the Mets this year, and you could you could argue whether this is worth it or not. But, like, because of what happened with them failing to sign Kumar Rocker last year, they have the 12th and the 14th pick in the draft. And because their actual it's – it's one of those weird things because their actual pick – is the 14th pick. So that actually can, and the sub, the um, comp pick is number 12. So as a result of that, if they had signed someone who received a qualifying offer, they would have lost the 14th pick and the bonus pool money that comes along with it, which is maybe just as big because with Conforto probably leaving, Michael Conforto leaving and Noah Syndergaard already having left, they're going to have a lot of picks in the top 100, and they're going to have maybe the biggest bonus pool of any team, if not one of the top two or three. So for a team that doesn't have a very deep farm system right now, they're going to be able to add a lot of talent. So keeping that 14th pick by not signing anyone who received a qualifying offer, I think was really like well done strategically um, to add on to already like the way it addresses the issues on their roster.
1: Can I steal something else that I think I heard you say to me yesterday? Uh, I'm going to paraphrase. You didn't actually say it like this. I'm going to say it like this. Those moves all make sense. And yet, if they're going to be contenders next year, it's going to be entirely based on if Scherzer and DeGrom stay healthy, <laughs> right? I mean, those guys, when healthy, are probably the best one-two in baseball. You could argue, I guess, for Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff in Milwaukee, but I'll take Scherzer to DeGrom. And yet, DeGrom didn't pitch after the you know first part of July because of an arm issue. And Scherzer's 38, and he was fantastic last year. Like, the velocity wasn't down. You know, people forget that after he got traded to the Dodgers, he allowed six runs in his first nine starts. I don't, I don't want like the uh, the postseason disappointment to overwhelm how amazingly good he still was last year. And yet, the last time we saw him, he was unable to make an NLCS start because he had a dead arm. I think that's a term that maybe sounds a lot worse than it is. You know, like dead arm is about the worst thing you can think of, um, but it mostly just means tired arm couldn't get loose. I think he's going to be very good next year. But what's the over under on combined starts? For Scherzer and Degrom, if that number is sixty-five, and you get if it's if if they get sixty-five starts, I think that they're going to be a very good team. If it's thirty starts, I still have a ton of questions about the depth of this rotation. Syndergaard's gone, Strowman's probably gone. They didn't get Mats. I don't trust Carrasco or, or Taiwan Walker a lot. Uh, where how many starts do we need from these two guys to make the Mets a playoff team?
0: Well, I think that's, I think it's almost a question also from like going into the year of in terms of like managing them of saying like, Hey, what, like maybe they just go into the year saying, actually, our goal is to get you, you know, each, you know, you know we're going to want to get, you know, 55 between you or 60 between you and like manage that way, as opposed to saying like, we're expecting you to start every game. Obviously it depends a little bit on who else they sign the rest of the off season, Cause I think they will sign at least one other pitcher. I don't know if, how, how. What kind of money they're going to spend? When I look at their long-term salary outlook, what I would my guess is this: is that, you know, I think Steve Cohen has said, "Oh, if I'm going to go over the luxury tax, I'm going to blow past it, right?" And that's what they're doing right now. They're like, you know, they're going to be like, based on the current luxury tax, they're going to be like forty or fifty million past it, right? And they they're projected to go way past it again next year as well. It's after next year in which like a lot of some big contracts might come off. So my guess is I could see them paying big money for a pitcher, but someone that would take a two, a one or two year deal at most. So that they sort of because basically I'm assuming that the right now the way the C, the, the the CBA is set up it's if you go over the luxury tax three straight years is when it really starts to like the the penalties really start to add up. So I could see a situation where they're like, okay, we're going to try and maybe take it scale back a little bit in two years down the road and so that that would be my my guess is that like i could see them giving out another big giving out another big deal but it would be for a pitcher who is willing to take a one or two year deal
1: um i think this is going to be another situation where we're going to go into the season and the mets are going to have like a 94 win projection like they do every year and everyone's gonna get, like this has happened like four years in a row because the Braves keep winning the division even though they are never ever projected to win the division. And I think this is going to be another thing where it's like, yes, the projections are saying you're going to get enough innings from Degrom and from Scherzer, and if you do great, you that's, listen, Lindor, I expect to be better. I think the lineup would be better based on those moves, but I just don't know what to expect out of Degrom. <laughs> like I really, I don't know if I if I could really count on more than forty innings from him last year. And uh, I don't know. It, it's complicated to be a Mets fan. I guess you're happier if you're a Mets fan right now than you were two weeks ago when the main story in Mets land was, <laughs> will anybody accept being the general manager and what will our owner tweet next? Like, this is better. Mets fans, well, this, I this, think,
0: this, should be happy. This should, wait, sorry, I'm, I'm also confused. You said 40 innings from... Did DeGrom only throw 40 innings last year?
1: No, I just... I think they're like 79 or something. I just okay. kind of
0: made that number up. Um, I think this should at least put to rest the idea that team players don't want to play for the Mets because Steve Cohen tweets? Yes,
1: 100%. (laughs) Totally
0: agree with you on that. (laughs) (laughs) Because my guess guess is they will sign one or two more big names, especially as I said, my guess would be on on short-term deals. Yes.
1: No, I, I couldn't agree with you more on that. It turns out that players like money and lots of it. And that's what Steve Cohen has. Let's go to Detroit because Detroit's really interesting. We've been talking about them for a while as a team that's like finally on the upswing after a bunch of losing seasons. Uh, They played like over 500 ball for the last four months of the season. And you've got all the young pitching, Scooble, Mize, Manning. You've got Torkelson coming up, uh, probably, if not opening day, pretty close to it. Uh, Rally Green's coming up. I've always liked Homer Candelario a lot. So they're a team on the rise and you knew they'd make some big splashes this winter. They kind of jumped everybody a couple weeks ago to get Eduardo Rodriguez. And this morning, or overnight, I guess, reportedly, they have finalized a six-year $140 million deal for Javier Baez. I have a lot of thoughts about this one. I think this is where one where maybe you and I disagree. Um, I like, obviously, that they are spending big money on a shortstop. That makes a ton of sense. I also think, this is one where you have to look at the dollar figure because 140 million dollars is not necessarily that much. This winter, you know, Seager got 325. Correa is going to get over 300, so he is being paid less than half a, a total dollar amount than those guys are. Uh, he's being paid to be not a superstar. He's being paid to be an above-average player, which which I think he is. And if you go into that with that context and you say, well, he's a big upgrade over Nico Goodrum and his defense will help the young pitching improve, and he'll add some power that this team really needs. Like I don't want to come out and say this is a bad deal. Like He makes them better, uh, even setting aside how much fun he is to watch and all that. I just have so many concerns about his profile. Really, the thing that gets me about this is it's a six-year deal, but he gets an opt-out after year two. So if he goes out the next two years and he strikes out 40% of the time, you are stuck for the next four years. And if he doesn't, if he goes out and improves himself, he probably opts out before the Tigers are actually really good again. You know, like the the strikeout profile, the potential slight decline in the defensive metrics, I this this one worries me a little bit. I'm sort of of two minds on this one because I, I think
0: I'm higher on Baez than you are as a player in general just because I think that like, I do think that he has some like not intangible value but i think that like he actually can make plays he's like makes game-changing plays in a way that few few players can and i do think that's something that is actually is really really hard to quantify like he will regularly make plays on defense on the bases that like a lot of guys can't make especially when you combine his like his power which you know is he he does have legit plus power that said like i feel like he's i feel like he's more of a finishing piece piece for that reason he's the kind of guy you want on your team if you're in the thick of it and you're like hey i know i'm going to the playoffs or i'm going to be like in the race going down to the wire and like he's a guy that in a big game you want on your side just because you know he kind of has that ability to sort of change a game he's kind of what i would say more as more of like a ceiling razor than a floor raiser. and with the i think with the rangers I'm sorry the tigers need right now is more like floor raisers because that's right now they're they're not that good even though they actually were i think i saw jason stark point out that like You know, yes, it's a little arbitrary, but after the first 25 games last year, they had a winning record. Um, But that, for that reason, I just think that, like, he doesn't – at this money, for a team that's sort of farther along in the process and a little closer to competing, I think he would make more sense. Like a team like the Mariners, I think he would make more sense in that context, a team like, hey, we know we're going to be playing – or we're pretty confident we're going to be playing in pennant race games in September, and this guy could, like, really make a difference in, you know – into moments that will be meaning meaningful for us. So that's that's kind of where, where I'm at at it, where it's like, I don't necessarily think the money's crazy. I just think the fit with the, the team and the timeline is weird. And as you said, the, the opt-out is also kind of strange. I'm surprised that that he was
1: able to get that, but you know, I guess good for him. Well, that's the thing is, I don't know if I can see him being on the next good Tigers team because while I think they're approving, I don't think they're going to be competitive. Well, not competitive. I don't think they're going to be World Series contenders this year or potentially even next year. And then after that, If he has been playing well and you want him around, he's probably gone. And if he's not playing well, that materially hurts your chances to contend. You know, like when you look at the way he strikes out and he strikes out so much more than anybody else on a rate basis over the last three years among qualified players. Yes, he chases like that's a whole big part of his game is he swings a lot. He chases a lot. But I remember when I wrote about the big five middle infielders, he was getting beat by velocity, like swing and miss on pitches over 95 miles an hour he was like three times what Simeon was. And that that is concerning to me because I don't necessarily see that improving as he ages. And again, I agree with you. The money is totally reasonable. I have no problem with it whatsoever. He will make them better. And I also think he's going to be fine in that ballpark because you know he's not hitting wall scrapers, right? Like when he hits the ball, he crushes it. Uh, it, it quality of contact for him last year was kind of the same as Freddie Freeman. Of course, less contact. And Comerica is a better hitter's park than people give it credit for it. So I think he's going to go there, play pretty good defense, hit 35 homers, have like a 302 on base percentage. (laughs) He's going to be like a three and a half win player, which is a huge improvement for them. I just have, I've got more concerns over this than some of the other ones where it's like, oh yeah, no, slam dunk. I I get it. I want to make one more point on Baez before we move on to our next team, just
0: because I know there was – and we'll just kind of go back to the Mets for a second because I know there's a lot of talk of like, oh, the Mets should have kept Baez back. And I guess supposedly they made him a pretty good offer early on in the process that he rejected and it kind of didn't go anywhere from there. I actually never saw that as a great fit because like whatever you think of, you know, Robinson Cano at this point or Jeff McNeil, like those guys are on the roster and they both play second base. And if Baez isn't your shortstop, he's going to play second base. So it would have seemed weird. I know everyone thinks that like the Mets are just going to spend – unlimited amounts of money and maybe they will, but it just never seemed to make sense to me with Robinson Cano coming back. And I actually still believe Robinson Cano can hit, but I may be alone on an Island on this one. Um, so it just, it never really made sense to me. So I was like, not at all surprised that he went elsewhere. Like I would have been way more surprised had he ended up back on the Mets for a deal for over a hundred million dollars.
1: I agree with you totally. Let's talk about the Blue Jays. I love what the Blue Jays are doing. When you think about what people know about Toronto, they think about the young, exciting lineup, right? They think about Vlad Guerrero, they think about Bo Bichette, they think about Teoscar Hernandez and all those guys. But I want you to focus on what they have done in the rotation over the last three seasons now that they have signed Kevin Gaussman to a five-year deal worth $110 million. The Blue Jays rotation is not only very good for 2022, it's set up for a while. So you've got Gaussman through 2026, two more seasons of Hyunjin Ryu, and Alec Manoa, who is a breakout rookie, he's not going to be a free agent until 2027. They signed Jose Barrios to a seven-year extension a couple weeks ago. He's there through 2028. I'm not totally out on Nate Pearson yet, although I'm not sure what to make of him. He's there through 2026. And you've still got Ross Stripling kicking ground as a fifth starter for one more year. Two years ago, they had what Charlie Montalio, their manager, uh, infamously referred to as an opener and a guy as their rotation. Someone sent me a tweet. I think it was Eric Steven, a longtime friend of mine who uh, at one point that year they started Edwin Jackson and Charlie Montoya was asked why. And his answer was, that's all we got, <laughs> which tells you where they were two years ago, Trent Thornton started 29 games, Aaron Sanchez, Marcus Stroman, Wilmer font, Jacob Wages Clay Buchholz, Clayton Richard. There's still 11 more guys who started games that year. I'm not going to go through them all because I care about our listenership that much for all the talk about the lineup. It's so fascinating what an incredibly good starting rotation they have built. Because you could conceivably look at this team and say, you know who our number four starter is next year? Hyunjin Ryu. That is a nice place to be in.
0: Yeah, and I think, I think the, because of all the stuff that's gone on, the the contract extension they signed with Barrios kind of got also maybe kind of went under the radar a little bit. But that that's kind of worked out. I think that's worked out well for him. He's been, as as far as pitchers go, he's been incredibly both durable and consistent, maybe not quite as high of a ceiling as some expected, but like, he's a pretty reliable, above-average Major League starter, and that's pretty valuable in this day and age. I'm not as high on Gaussman as some, but he's still very good. So I think I think it's a really good point just about how their their rotation is way better than people give it credit for. Do you think they're going to try and, quote-unquote, replace Simeon, or just hope that, like, Kevin Biggio comes back and is, like, better than he was last year and he was not very good?
1: Well, you can't replace Simeon, right? I mean, he was. I meant,
0: I meant like go out and like, when I say quote unquote replace, I meant like go out and acquire someone to, to try and give some fill, fill some part of that void.
1: I, I think so because you can start Kevin Biggio at second base and still need a third baseman. You know, I like Santiago Espinal, but he's probably not your 162 game starter at third base. I think every Toronto fan wants Jose Ramirez out of Cleveland, but that's probably not going to happen. They could still be in on Chris Bryant. Like, that's a really interesting fit there. I think Kyle Seeger, perhaps as a third baseman, like there are a couple of third base options. They're not going to go, you know, sign Carlos Correa and move Bo to third base or anything like that. Um, They're probably not going to go get Trevor Story and move him to third base, although I guess they could. I like Chris Taylor there a lot. You know, you could have Taylor and Espinal and Vigio kind of moving around a little bit. That makes a lot of sense. They have to sign some kind of infielder. Uh, they also signed Dimi Garcia, who's a, a pretty decent reliever. For all the disastrous talk about their bullpen last year, it's true, like it almost single-handedly ruined their season. A lot of that early season bullpen has already been turned over. You know, like Trevor Richards they got, he was pretty good. Adam Simber, they got, he was pretty good. Uh, you know, they hope they have a better health from Julian Merriweather next year, and Tim Mesa was pretty good. So I'm not that worried about the bullpen anymore, but I I think if you can say, listen, we signed Kevin Gausman, Uh, We added Garcia to our bullpen. Yes, we lost Simeon, but we're going to add some kind of infielder, whether it's Taylor or the other Seeger or Bryant. I I think that's a really fantastic offseason for them. I don't think they're done, but I also don't think they're going to get one of the quote unquote big name guys. Uh, They kind of had to get Gosma though, because in addition to losing Simeon, they also lost Robbie Ray, who is going to Seattle. Seattle's had an interesting offseason so far. They traded for Adam Frazier the other day. And I guess I had a little bit of a disagreement when people kept referring to him as All Star Adam Frazier, which I guess is true, but he also had like the best Babbitt first half of his entire life and hit the All Star team and, and good for him. Got traded to San Diego, was not very good there. And like he's a decent player, he's like an average ish hitter, just has like no power whatsoever, you know? So that's going to necessarily limit him to are my batted balls finding holes or not? Uh, they traded for Ray, which. Made a ton of sense because otherwise their rotation was like Marcus uh, Marco Gonzalez, Chris Flexen, and Logan Gilbert. Not a good enough top three for me, but now you put Robbie Ray on top of those guys. That's a pretty decent top four. Ray is kind of in a similar situation to Javi Baez, I think, because you know Ray infamously could not throw strikes in twenty twenty at all, and then went and won the Cy Young last year. He gets an opt out after year two, so if he proves that twenty twenty one was for real, he's gone in two years, and if it's not. Uh, it's going to be a long five years of not throwing strikes i mean i think i think the mariners were in position to uh to add but man they still need a power bat Simeon would have been so good there there's
0: i mean i think uh i think chris bryant still fits very well there but there's one guy who i think is like actually the one i think I, this occurred to me this t- today and i was like okay this is the guy that they're almost definitely going to sign and want to see if you can guess who it is that you would say is going to sign there? I think I, I'm now convinced this player is going to sign there.
1: Well, let's see. I would have said uh, I would have said Chris Bryant as well, but I don't think that's who you're going for. I think Chris uh, Bryant
0: still might sign there, but I think there's yeah. other players. I, I'm, take it to the bank. He's going to sign there. This is not based on any – this is just my hunch.
1: Uh, are we going infield or outfielder?
0: Uh, an outfielder.
1: You're going to say Michael Conforto. Michael Conforto, born in Seattle. Yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. I mean, are we, they, are we making too much of the hometown guys? I mean, yes and no. Like, I
0: think that's totally, that is totally secondary. But the fact of the matter is, like, they really need offense. I think that, like, there's not going to be a lot of demand for uh, Conforto. He got a qualifying offer. If there's one team, they've already given up one pick for Robbie Ray. And the Mariners have a great farm system. Like, the one thing they actually need right now is, like, major league competence. And they could sort of, like, they could sort of survive losing some draft picks as much as almost any team or any near contender or near contender can. Um, so I think that those reasons, first and foremost, then the local angle and the fact that like their, their payroll, even now after signing Ray is pretty modest. Um, yes, I know they actually have some young outfielders, but Mitch Hanniger's entering the last year of his deal. He's gonna be a free agent after this year. So it'd be easy if you thought, Hey, you know what? We still want, um, we know Julio Rodriguez is going to come up at some point. Well, then Conforto just kind of replaces Henniger, and like sort of the long-term picture with um, Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez and Kyle Lewis, although who knows what to make of Kyle Lewis anyway. So um, that's that's my prediction. I think that after after like putting together the, the, all those factors plus the hometown angle, it almost seems too obvious not to happen. How about Kyle Schwarber? Um, Yeah, I think it just feels like there's actually more more demand for him. Um than there is for Conforto right now, so I just think that like there's, there, um, it may be a little, maybe a little tougher to just kind of
1: get them on, on quote unquote their terms. They should bring back Nelson Cruz. I'm just saying that they need power because last year they had the fifth what uh, fifth worst slugging percentage in baseball, and that was with Kyle Seager, who hit 35 homers, did not have a great on base percentage, so he wasn't a great hitter overall. But you know he slugged, and then they added, as I said, Adam Frazier, who makes a ton of contact and without power. So I imagine if you were to try to run the numbers for 2022, they're like a bottom three slugging team, whether that's Bryant Conforto. I don't know who, but I think you are totally right. They still need somebody like they still need a bat to support what's become a pretty interesting pitching staff. The final team I want to talk about just because It's so exciting to see a a move like this. The Miami Marlins gave four years and $53 million to Avasail Garcia. I think I'm less surprised that the Marlins gave out a four-year deal than I am that Garcia got a four-year deal. He's always been like a stat cast darling in the sense that he's faster than you think he is. Uh, He's got more power than you think he does. Like his high-end exit velocities are really, really impressive. And he's been terribly inconsistent. If you go back over the last five seasons, right, from 2017 to 2021, for the White Sox, the Rays, and the Brewers, here are his year-by-year OPS+, where 100 is league average. In 2017, it was 138. It's fantastic. Next year, 95. Yeah. Next year, 112. 78. 117. What do you do with that? I'm shocked he got four years. Good on the Marlins for going out and getting the bat that they so desperately needed. They still need more, clearly, um, but this was not a mixture of team and length and player I think I would have ever predicted.
0: <laughs> yeah, the, four, the four-year deal definitely, um, definitely sort of took me by surprise. I think as, I think I saw someone on Twitter call him the worst five-tool player in baseball. Yes, which absolutely. sounds, <laughs> which seems sounds kind of rude, but like it's also kind of common. He is kind of a five-tool player. I've always liked him because he pops up on these Statcast leaderboards. It's the money's not crazy given you know all that we know you know for a free agent thirteen you know thirteen point two five per year, he definitely makes them better. So they need more. They definitely need to improve their lineup more than just more than just him. And there's there's been rumors of of Castanos and Schwarber in Miami. I'm not sure if either of those guys will end up there, but um,
1: it's it was an, it was an interesting deal. The uh, <laughs> the Marlins also made a trade. They traded for Jacob Stallings from uh, Pittsburgh. He's a catcher. The Marlins started four different catchers in the final four games of the season last year, none of whom were Jorge Alfaro, who was supposed to have been their starting catcher and is either going to get non-tendered or potentially traded uh, by the end of the day right now. Jacob Songs is not a great hitter. He does not fix any of their offensive problems, but he's probably the best defensive catcher in all of baseball. I sort of view him as like a younger, slightly better hitting Jeff Mathis, which I guess is not like the sexiest description one can come up with. Um, but Jeff Mathis is like the most highly regarded defensive catcher of the last 20 years, non Air Molina division. And I think even though Stallings isn't going to hit much. Um, I like the idea of taking this incredibly talented young pitching staff and giving them a guy like this who can only make them better. You know, I, I can't imagine it helped all those young guys that they have to go through like 26 different catchers this year. And Alfaro has never been, he's got a cannon of an arm, but he's never been that highly regarded as a backstop. So even though Stallings is not, you know, someone who's going to add a ton of power, if he can go out there and help Rogers look better and Sixto Sanchez when he comes back and all these other guys, I do think that helps. Like, they're still short two to three bats, I think. I think there's still room for another, you know, center field, left field, uh, left side of the infield kind of bat before I would take them seriously as contenders in the East. But I think we're getting pretty close to the point where uh, I would consider them in the mix for third best, right? Like, I hate to say Washington's the worst team in that division because Juan Soto exists, but I also think that's true. The Phillies, I don't know what to make of, and I guess Mets, Braves are are top two right now. Like, do you think the Marlins can make enough moves to get into that, like, serious division contention this year?
0: Division contention, um, probably not. And this is more about the Braves than it is the Mets, is because I think, as we said, the Mets kind of have that variance, whereas I think the Braves will just be good because i'm kind of assuming freddie freeman will be back um even if he's not back they'll still be pretty good um but the pitching is is good enough that they're going to be they're they're going to be tough to beat on almost any given night and like the lineup is still a little short but like they're they've got like sort of roughly a lot of like roughly average position players and a very good pitching staff and that's going to be good enough to compete and give teams a lot of trouble
1: Before we take a break, uh, John Heyman has just reported a three-year deal for the Chicago White Sox. Uh, Don't get overexcited about this. Leary Garcia, who has been kicking around there since, believe it or not, 2013, has gone back on a three-year deal. I think Chicago fans have been pretty disappointed uh, with how quiet their team has been. And that's actually what we're going to talk about in a second. A couple of teams who have just not done all that much and what they might yet do. We'll Take a quick break and be back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. We are back on the Ballpark Dimensions podcast, Mike Petreau and Matt Myers. It has been a wild couple of days in baseball for most teams, but not for all teams. A couple of really big market teams have done just about nothing. The Yankees haven't really done anything. They have brought back reliever Jolie Rodriguez, and that's about it. The Dodgers haven't really done much of anything. I guess they signed Andrew Heaney, and that's something, Uh, but they lost Scherzer. And and Daniel Hudson? And Daniel Hudson, thank you. Uh, They lost Scherzer. They lost Corey Seager. Uh, Chris Taylor remains a free agent and Max Muncy, who had the Dodgers had said he did not blow out his UCL when he got run over at first base at the end of last season. Well, he went on TV yesterday and he said, yeah, I tore my UCL. That's not great. The worst part for me is there's no additional information. We don't know if he's having surgery we know that his recovery has been slow, but we, does that mean he's not in the lineup on opening day? Is he out till June? Is he out till? I don't, I don't know. That's a whole big thing. We'll get to that in a second. The Red Sox have done very little. I mean, they signed Michael Waka, which is fine. And the Phillies have done very little. And I've generally been of the opinion that it matters who's in your lineup on opening day. It doesn't really matter if you sign that guy in November 1st or February 1st, but I also couldn't really sit here and tell fans of any of those teams not to be frustrated because man, so much has happened. What? who's who's the most surprising for you out of that group um that's a really good question in some ways
0: in some ways the phillies because they've just been very aggressive in free agency the last few years and they have some obvious holes and a team in their division just won the world series and another team in their division is going out and making lots of huge moves so i'm sort of surprised they haven't tried to do something to kind of react to that again not saying that's like the right thing to do i'm just sort of surprised they have not um i know everyone's Itching for the, or I shouldn't say everyone, Yankees fans are itching for them to make make a move, and I kind of feel like they're waiting out the market for Correa. And this actually, I mean, not that they're going to suddenly get him on like a, you know, like a one year, you know, a three year, thirty nine million dollar deal. I think he's still going to get something close to whatever Seager got. But um, I think they're kind of waiting it out, and it'll probably work out well for them in that in that regard. So um, that's what I would say. Who who surprised you the most?
1: Well, I think it's the Yankees in part because. You know Corey Seager would have been a good fit. They obviously needed a shortstop. I was a little surprised they didn't even on a lower scale get on the uh, in on the Jacob Stallings trade, just because nobody seems to like Gary Sanchez. I think what's going to happen is you know none of these teams are going to sign a big ticket free agent uh, soon, right? I think before the season starts, maybe later in the winter, yes, like Carlos Correa to the Yankees still makes an enormous amount of sense to me. I wouldn't be surprised if in the next you know twelve hours or so, both teams make a trade. I'm going to give you two examples of potentially tradable guys out there. The first is there was a small signing today that we didn't talk about because it just, it doesn't move many needles, right? The Cubs signed Jan Gomes for two years and $13 million. Fine. Jan Gomes is a perfectly usable catcher. The thing is the Cubs have a ton of holes and none of those holes are a catcher because they have Wilson Contreras. And about 10 minutes after this was reported, Wilson Contreras tweeted four airplane emojis, (laughs) in a row, <laughs> which I respected. So could Wilson Contreras be traded to the Yankees? Will, will that mollify Yankee fans? Here's another one. The Rays, uh, who signed Brooks Raley and Corey Kluber, have only finalized one of those deals. They have finalized Raley. They have not finalized Kluber because their 40-man roster is full. They need to make some kind of move. That could be non-tenders, sure. Maybe it's trades. Can you think of a team that needs a center fielder more than either the Yankees or the Phillies? And can you think of a team that has a center fielder who is available and a great defender more than Kevin Kiermaier? I don't know if the Yankees and Rays would trade, but Kevin Kiermaier on the Phillies by the end of the day. like I could see moves like that happening. It's not going to fix their winter. It's not going to be the big free agent deals they want to sign. But I I think trades like that almost have to happen because if you think about the timing of the next couple days, the window for free agent deals is coming to a close just because you need to leave time for physicals and everything. And I think I think there's going to be some trades around the non-tender deadline tonight. Is Kevin Kiermaier a Philly by
0: the end of the night? That is a really interesting theory. I almost feel like we need to end this podcast and get it published so that you can have that out there before <laughs> it actually happens. <laughs> um, it's now It's now 322 on the East Coast as we record this. So if this happens tonight, let it be known on the record that Mike predicted this trade before before, before, before it happened. That's a really interesting, interesting I, theory. I do want to touch on the Red Sox a second, which is that like, you know, Eduardo Rodriguez left and I guess they did sign Waka, but like yeah. it does really feel like they could use a pitcher. Um, but there's not really any impact starting pitchers. I mean, I don't know who's, who's out there, right? Like uh, Rodon. Rodon is Rodon. I mean, they're
1: not signing Clayton Kershaw. No, I guess Stroman. Stroman. Uh, you put Stroman in front of that infield defense. That is a recipe for absolute disaster. <laughs> it's just-
0: I, maybe, maybe there's a starter they could trade for. I don't know. But uh, th- that feels like one that, 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 that's a big void there for me.
1: Uh, speaking of tweets at, at uh, or ideas at 3.22 p.m., our own Mark Feinstein says the Rockies have had discussion with Chris Bryant's camp and the interest is real. And I know everybody reads that and gets a nice old laugh out of it, as I do too, because it's hard to see that actually happening. I do respect the Rockies for going out and even like placing these phone calls. I think people look at that team and say, well... They clearly screwed up on Trevor Story. They clearly screwed up on John Gray. Maybe they're just going to sit still all winter and hope something happens. And even though I don't think Chris Bryant will be Rocky, good on them for trying. That would be kind of fun. Like I don't know that I can see him actually choosing to sign there because he probably has his choice of many other options. Uh, but it's been reported by multiple team, uh, multiple reporters. So I like that it's at least happening. All right, we're going to finish off our show. There's like 10 or so biggish name free agents left we're going to quickly just kind of go through them because at this point if you haven't been following twitter for the last two days you might not even know who's left because so many different guys have signed my expectation is none of the guys on this list uh will sign in the next two days we may see them sign you know later in the winter closer to spring training depending on how the winter plays out maybe i'm wrong about that Uh, the first name on the list is the biggest name carlos correa i think we both think he's going to be a yankee at some point right like the Yankees have to kind of make up for what's happened so far.
0: Uh, I think that's right. I think that like this, you know, this might've been their strategy all along. You know, I think the Yankees are always wary of teams using them to like, sort of like using like, or players using them to, or agents using them to to bid, bid, to get them in the bidding and bid them up. And so I think that they're, they kind of often, you know, maybe try and slow play things a little bit. So Correa is a great fit there. Obviously he's going to cost a lot of money. One, Crazy thing I noticed today in looking up how Correa compared to Corey Seager, because I think there's this assumption that, like, oh, Seager got this, Correa should get way more money. You know, Seeger has some of this, like, oh, injury-prone thing, you know, like, uh, label on him. Correa hasn't exactly been a model of durability either in his career. In fact, you know, in 2019, he only played 75 games, 2018, 110, 2017, 109. But that's not the weird thing. The weird thing is that over the last three years, 2019 through through 2021, Carlos Correa and Corey Seager, who are five months apart in age, mind you, have both played in exactly 281 games and both have exactly 1,182 played appearances, (laughs) which is just so crazy. And then the the similarities don't even stop there. Correa has 52 homers in that span. Seager has 50 (laughs) Um, 168 runs scored for Correa, 174 for Seager, 185 RBIs for Seager, 176 for Correa, also almost identical in, in wins, above, wins above replacement. Given the similar ages, you kind of have to assume that like Correa at this point is going to say like, I want what Seager got and maybe a little bit more just to say he got a little bit more. Of course, Seager's going to have the last laugh because unless Correa signs in Texas, um, He's going to sign a place with, with state income tax, in which case the real dollar value of his contract will probably be more. But that's not for us to worry about. The players can, the players and their egos can worry about that. I still think Cray ends up with the
1: Yankees. Yeah, two things real quick. The, the first is I'm glad you brought up the tax thing. You're right. We don't have to care about it. But because Texas has no income tax and California has kind of a high income tax, the Dodgers would have probably needed to beat that Texas offer by about $40 million just to match and I think that's kind of a big deal that we don't think about enough. The second thing is you told me earlier about this. Correa and Seeger having the exact same amount of games and the exact same amount of plate appearances. And what I didn't tell you is that I didn't believe you. So I went and I looked it up because I thought, there's no way that could be true. And it's 100% true. So good find by you because that's just the weirdest thing. All right, number two on the list. Carlos Rodon had a phenomenal season last year, but also barely pitched in the second half. He seems like the kind of guy to me who's going to get a very short-term high A-V deal, kind of like Scherzer, but not quite to that extent because I don't think anybody trusts his health. And I can tell you, I think he's going to the West Coast. He's going either to San Francisco, who still needs to fill out their rotation, or the Dodgers, who need to figure out what they're going to do now that Scherzer's not coming back. Uh, I think I,
0: the, the Dodgers would probably be my pick. I'm sort of tempted to say Red Sox because the what I talked about before, but the Red Sox don't really... Red Sox, and unfortunately, the ship may have sailed. They really need like someone reliable they, they need some like reliable innings and that's like rodon doesn't he just adds another like kind of like question mark to the rotation which i'm not sure that they're going to pay a premium for
1: um i'm going to say sneaky detroit in on that too i don't think it's going to happen but I, I i could see it happening at least okay freddie freeman i think we both think he's going back to the braves i've enjoyed former major leaguer carlos baerga continually putting on instagram like hints that he thinks he's going to the blue jays to play i don't know third base or something I uh, can't imagine that actually happens but boy wouldn't that be fun if it did I think Dodger fans are now kind of thinking about Freeman because Muncy is hurt and we don't know what the situation is there I'm going to say this the Dodgers are going to trade for Matt Olson, and they're going to trade for you know Frankie Montas and Yankee fans who already assume that Max uh, Matt Olson is being fitted for pinstripes are going to freak out that's what I think is going to happen here uh Freeman but he's probably gonna go back to the Braves at some point right yeah that I mean
0: that's That's one of those where it'll be crazy if it doesn't happen. Um, but I kind of assume it will happen.
1: I, you know, I hate to even say this because all of the deals this winter have been larger than I expected they'd be. The report that Nick Castellanos wants seven or eight years seems more than a little unlikely to me for a guy who's, you know, probably at best position as DH, but he's a really good hitter. Everybody wants to put him on the Marlins because he's from South Florida. I'm not sure that that's necessarily the fit i have to be honest of all the guys on this list i have maybe the worst feel for where he's going to end up you know i don't know that i've got a terribly good answer i mean he loved his time in wrigley maybe the cubs want to say they did something and he goes back there i don't have a good answer here except for maybe seattle seattle could be a place where i could see him going to bash um yeah i think i saw
0: there were some reports from from john paul morose the phillies had had talks but like Phillies probably don't want to punt more on defense their defense is already pretty bad and that's not really casting on strength the giants have had interest um who i mean he sort of feels like i mean he already was this guy a couple of years ago but i wonder if he's gonna be the guy again who sort of is like still out there at the end because he wants like you know, he wants a huge deal I mean, he, you could argue he's you know one i don't know one of, i don't know if one of the 10 best hitters in the game one of the 20 best hitters in the game something like uh, it I'm going to say Marlins just because it just feels like one of the weird things that are going to end up up happening.
1: (laughs) I'll take it. Chris Bryant, we already talked about Seattle, Toronto, or Colorado. Uh, Maybe Colorado story. Trevor story has. there's just been so much silence necessarily around him. And I'm not sure why, like, I don't think it's because he's got, you know, the course field effect. Like we've talked about this a trillion times over the years. If the Yankees don't get Correa, I could still see them getting story, I guess, I guess I'm going to say Correa, Yankees, and Story, Houston, uh, is a thing I could see happening.
0: Uh, I think I think I think Houston is is where Story's going to end up. I think the, the Astros are going to wait this out and end up with another really good shortstop. At you know, I think he'll probably get something closer to Baez than what Correa is going to get. And so I think that like, and the it wouldn't shock me if you know Story's a better player than Correa over the over the next you know maybe not over
1: the next three years but. In any given season, has is a, is a more, is a more is a more valuable player. We haven't heard a whole lot about Marcus Stroman. Um, I think you know he's had a couple of really good years. His profile is different from some of the other top starting pitchers in that he's not a strikeout guy. You know he's a pitch to contact, get ground balls, reliable. Like that's a a valuable kind of pitcher for a lot of teams to have. It's pretty clear he's not going back to the Mets. Uh, he's been pretty active on social media in a way that I think has turned a lot of people off, but there are a lot of teams that need starting pitchers, but you need to have him in front of a good infield defense. The Red Sox cannot sign Marcus Stroman. The Phillies cannot sign Marcus Stroman. What do you think about the twins, right? Like the twins didn't extend Byron Buxton for seven years to punt for the next five years, right? Their starting rotation is really thin and there's not a lot of options for them.
0: I think that's a really interesting theory. Like I I could like that. Like that's one I hadn't thought of, and I'm like, hmm, interesting. I'm gonna say the Angels because they, like, yes, they went and got Noah Syndergaard and they signed Michael Lorenzen to be in the rotation, but they still don't really have any reliable starters. And I, I'm a fan of Stroman in the sense that I think that he has a high floor. And like, if there's a team that desperately needs a high floor starter that is intending to compete, it is the Los Angeles Angels, and they haven't, you know, signed a big multi-year deal for a pitcher. I think he's the guy.
1: You know, I actually kind of like that. If you look at their infield right now, Rendon, uh, presumably he'll be healthy. He's a pretty good third baseman. Fletcher at second or short is a pretty good infielder. They they could probably use a shortstop. And I know he can't hit. I know his bat is truly terrible. But you bring back Simmons and you put him at shortstop, all of a sudden that's a really good defensive infield, which is perfect for a guy like Stroman. So I'm kind of with you on the Angels fit. All right, three more guys we'll go through quickly here. Chris Taylor fits on literally every team. I think Toronto makes sense. I think Seattle makes sense. I kind of think the Dodgers will try to bring him back because they lost Seager. And I think they saw what, you know, missing out on Kike Hernandez did to them this year in terms of their depth, like the homegrown guys they thought would fill in didn't really work out. I think Taylor just goes back to where he was.
0: And also, I mean, also for the Dodgers, you want to have some continuity because like, as we noted, Scherzer and Seager are already gone. Kenley Jansen and Clayton Kershaw are also free agents. Like, this team could look really different next year. Like, they've had a core that's kind of – again, Scherzer wasn't really part of that core, so he's a little bit different. But, like, this team could look really different next year. And Kiki Hernandez was kind of a big loss for them. I think Taylor's going to end up with the Phillies because I think that's going to be the guy guy that they bring in because he can fit a few places and they're going to want to do something. But um, the Dodgers, you're right, are going to sign – someone so i guess taylor makes as much sense as anyone
1: two more guys on our list of notable free agents uh Kyle Schwarber i think Seattle would make a ton of sense but i i kind of think maybe he goes back to boston you know maybe if they can't find enough pitching they just outslug and he seemed he seemed to fit in really well there and i get that the roster fit isn't perfect but you figure you know you get what one more year of jd martinez i think and then maybe he's more of a dh you can fake it left field first base and dh i think for one more year um,
0: that is a good fit. Mark Feinstein in his piece last night listed the Rockies as a fit. Uh, yes. Kyle
1: Schwarber, Kyle Schwarber hitting Coors Field would be a lot of fun. <laughs> yes. Course, no, I know the DH is coming, so fine, but Kyle Schwarber playing left field in Coors Field <laughs> would be a lot of fun. <laughs> and our final name, Clayton Kershaw. There are only three options for Clayton Kershaw. He returns to the Dodgers, he signs with Texas, or he calls it a day. Which of those three is most likely for you? Um, I think... I kind of think he's going to end up on Texas.
0: I, I mean, know me they're, too. They're me like too. trying to like they're trying to build this vibe with this new team, and I think they're going to probably you know bring in another hitter or maybe another pitcher. I guess, but if there's more hitters out there that they that they could they could be they could be a landing spot for someone like Conforto or um you know or maybe Schwarber. I don't know like that that a hitter of, of that ilk, and they're you know they could play on the hometown vibe and really kind of build a marketing campaign around him and all these new faces. I just just. Kind of kind of a hunch, and I know we talked about this recently, I kind of read, you could have read how the Dodgers didn't give a qualifying offer to, to Kershaw in a lot of different ways. I, maybe being a little more cynical, read it as, oh, I'm they're skeptical about the, the health of his arm. I hope I'm wrong, because I hope we get to see more Clayton Kershaw, I really do, but like that's just kind of how I read it, so I felt like maybe the Dodgers aren't going to be going nuts to bring him back.
1: Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. I think there's also a little bit of we didn't want to force him to make a decision based on this time frame before he's ready just because of how important he's been. And I hope everybody who's been listening to this podcast listens to it quite quickly after it's been published because it sounds like a lot of moves are still going to keep happening over the next day or two. And then after that, we're not quite sure. Things might come to a halt. We are still going to do our podcast each week. We've got a couple of interesting guests lined up. Next week, we'll speak to Joe Poznanski, our friend and former colleague, about his book, The Baseball 100. And we'll know by then whether Buck O'Neill is going to get into the Hall of Fame. Joe has a lot to say about the great Buck O'Neill. So we're excited to talk to him. That'll do it for this week's podcast. Don't miss an episode by subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening to the Ballpark Dimensions podcast. See you next week.